Got a teacher back there, helper taking them across to our CE center. Parents are always reminded to pick up those kids right after the service. And do tell those Kingdom Kids workers, thank you. We appreciate them. Uh, Even if you're not a parent and you see one uh, around, do thank them for their service. We all appreciate what they're doing. We are continuing uh, in the second week of a short series of sermons leading to Christmas. We're not covering the stories of Jesus' birth this year. We're going back to the very first chapters of the Bible, uh, the creation of the world, homing in on what God created humans to be when He made Adam and Eve. How Then how Jesus, as Son of God, embodies what true humanity ought to be, Son of God and Son of Man, and which is why Jesus has also been called the second Adam from above, and how He is able to bring us into the life that God intended, which is why we celebrate His birth at Christmas. Last week, we focused on how we are made, created in the image of God. This morning, another description of humankind from Genesis, having dominion. Now, I don't know what the word dominion uh, brings to your mind. Uh, It makes me think of a board game our boys had uh, played some years ago. It was called Dominion. It was in a big blue box, and it's described like this. You are a monarch a ruler of a small, pleasant kingdom of rivers and evergreens. In all directions are small bits of land controlled by petty lords and verging on anarchy. You will bring civilization to these people, uniting them under your banner. But wait, several other monarchs have the exact same idea. You must race to get as much of the unclaimed land as possible, fending them off along the way. To do this, you will hire minions, construct buildings, spruce up your castle, and fill the coffers of your treasury. You want a bigger and more pleasant kingdom. You want a dominion. Well, I don't know if you're into board games or not, but that sounds a lot like, frankly, like the nightly news or a lot of, a lot of human history has, has played out that way. People fighting for supremacy, defeating everyone else so that everything belongs to you. But that's the distortion of dominion. Yes, it's normal in our broken, fallen world, but it's not the way we were created to be. As we'll see today, Christ gives us a different picture of dominion, and He empowers us to be like Him. So here's the theme for our message today. Celebrate Jesus, the King who came so that we might reign with Him. Why would we celebrate Christmas? We celebrate Jesus, the King who came so that we might reign with Him. So like last week, three parts moving from Adam or humankind to Jesus and through Jesus to us, those who are in Him through faith. So here's part one. Let them have dominion. Humankind was given authority but rebelled against God's authority. Let's go back to Genesis. We uh, started here last week in Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. I'm going to read that and just a little bit further this morning. So Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created 
man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, what would have been clearer to the ancient readers of this text is that having dominion, that idea, is related to the idea, the concept of being made in God's image in verse 26. And there, there comes right after, one comes right after the other. God said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion. Uh, ancient rulers would have images of themselves displayed throughout their land so that even though the throne, the capital city, the throne, the king himself might be far away, his authority extended to every part of his realm, his dominion, which is why the concept is also linked to be fruitful and multiply in verse 28. God bless them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. This is a commission to humankind, not just Adam singular, but to them, blessed them and said to them, humankind to fill what is empty and untamed with a representation of God's authority over his creation. That's some sense in which we are the image of God. Now, we do not live in a country with a king, queen, or emperor. Um, you know, it's, sometimes it's those totalitarian regimes that love to have the statues everywhere. You know, the closest we get is you know the picture of the Secretary of State and all the DMV offices. We see the image has got to be that's kind of kind of weak, isn't it? Not very impressive. But um, you know, or in the United Kingdom, where uh, all of the currency bore the image of Queen Elizabeth II. Um, which will now change because of her passing a few months ago. Uh, I saw a story where some actually uh, in England wondered if their, their currency immediately became worthless because she had passed. Now, that was not true, but you can see how even in our imaginations, how closely the value of the image was tied to the original. In Genesis, God did not Look at all the cre- living creatures that he made, and 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 uh, and he said, "Oh, humans! You know, he picked humans to be in charge because you know they seemed to be the smartest, or they had the opposable thumbs." Uh, he created he created humans beings in a certain way to reflect his image, to mark his realm, and to represent his authority in his world. Now, but if you're reading carefully, you can say, "Well, is this dominion only over the animals?" As we see in these verses, uh, chapter 2 of Genesis describes the relationship of the first man to the land. So, 2, verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, yes, this was the first man, Adam, and this was specific to the Garden of Eden And while the words uh, dominion and authority are not used, this does point to a God-given responsibility for humankind to cultivate and protect the land, the earth, creation. In other words, what we have here is a stewardship. Genesis 1 and 2 together should give us a distinctively Christian approach to all kinds of issues related to ecology and environment and energy policy. We have God's 
blessing to make the best use of creation, but we also have God's command not to abuse it, to work it, and to keep it. Creation is to be cultivated, making the most of these resources. Creation is to be harnessed, whether that's harnessing a horse or harnessing the wind. We harness things for our benefit, but creation is not to be exploited, not to be ruined. See, dominion that reflects God does involve power and authority, but dominion is not destruction because that does not reflect God's dominion, God's way of ruling over his world and over his people. We'll come back to that more a bit later. Now, we could spend a lot more time uh, considering those kinds of implications of these truths, but the focus of this series is on what it means to be human. So, I want you to take you to another text that shows that this dominion is a tremendous privilege that also inspires praise. I'm going to go now to Psalm 8. And you can go there with me or you can just sit back and I'm going to be running around a lot this morning to a lot of different passages. So you can uh, sit back and enjoy the ride or you can try to keep up. So Psalm 8, verse 3. I'm just going to jump there. Psalm 8, verse 3. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, God, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, when you see all the amazing things that humans can do with God's world, farming and fishing, mining and manufacturing, art and architecture, music and medicine, sports and science, running a business, raising a family, it's all amazing. It's all amazing. There is real glory in humankind. But when you understand that it all comes from God, who, who made this world with all its energy, its potential that we're still tapping into as human beings, who made us who we are, who gave us our authority and capability, the intellectual capacity to learn and to discover and to explore and to figure out the properties of the elements so that we can melt them down and put them together and make things like smartphones. We've been given this privilege, but God gets the praise. How majestic is your name? To you be the glory. And how tragic it is when we abuse that authority. What a, what a blasphemy, a profanity when we misrepresent God's authority. And the abuse of our dominion all goes back to our rejection of God's dominion, our rebellion against God's authority. Now, we're not going to look at, at it in detail this morning, but Genesis 3 tells of Adam and Eve disobeying God's command that had to do with the limits he set on what they could do with his creation. Yes, it was about a particular fruit tree, but it was all about God's ultimate authority over his world, over us. And that rebellion against God's authority means we live under the curse instead of his 
blessing. We see it in the chaos of our world and the corruption of human authority. All of it, not not just the authority over creation has been corrupted, but our authority that we exercise over one another. Authority in the home has been corrupted in the workplace and in government. Yes. Doesn't mean the home or work or government is wrong in itself, but in a broken world, that kind of authority has been corrupted, and it all becomes a big game of dominion, a contest for supremacy. Who will rule the world? So this is not just about environment. It's about economics, and it's about politics. When God is not in the picture at all, it's a fight for survival between people competing for limited resources. That's the ugliness of our world. What life should be about is people working together under God's reign, under His rule, to maximize the potential of God's world so that we all live in God's blessing. Now, do you remember last week's sermon? I'm going to make the same little move here. If all we needed was the Bible to tell us what we should have done, and this sermon could be over here. Like, come on, people, let's get out there and and exercise your God-given authority the way you're supposed to. All right, let's pray. Uh, But here's the thing. Thousands and thousands of years have proved over and over that even for those who recognize God's authority, I mean, there's plenty of people who don't recognize God's authority at all, but even for those who do, the law is not enough. We need a Savior, and that's why Jesus came. This is part two crowned with glory and honor. Jesus came as a king, but he claimed the crown by way of the cross. If you know the stories of Jesus' birth, the kind of stories that we read again and again this time of year, you know he came as a king. Humanly speaking, of course, he was a descendant of David, the great king of Israel. So that the angel announced to the shepherds outside Bethlehem, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ, of course, is the word for Messiah. Messiah is the, the anointed, the one anointed to be king. The wise men came looking for him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Jesus is the king. That's, that was in all of our songs this morning. Thank you, Logan. Uh, but what you may not appreciate is the fact that Jesus' kingship, his rule, his authority, his kingdom also fulfills Adam's dominion. dominion. Adam's dominion. More than David's rule over Israel specifically, it's Adam's rule over all creation that Jesus fulfills. I'll show you this in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, this would be a good one for you to turn to. If you pick just one passage to turn to from here on out, go with me there. Hebrews chapter 2, and I'll begin with verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, 
who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. I'll stop there. Now, I hope you recognized Psalm 8, passage we read a little bit earlier, quoted there in verses 6 to 8 of Hebrews 2. Psalm 8 describes the dominion given to all humankind at creation Genesis 1. But the author of Hebrews says this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus. Not that Psalm 8 is is a prediction so much as it is a profile. It's a profile that you and I all fit, human beings created for dominion, created in the image of God. And but Jesus fits the profile better than anyone. No one else is king like Jesus. No one else has dominion like Jesus. Now, if, if you didn't have this passage right in front of you, you might think, well, yeah, sure, Jesus rules, he reigns because he's God. But this says Jesus reigns specifically as God who became human. He has been given the dominion that Adam was created for, that you and I were created for. But here's where it gets even more surprising in Hebrews 2. Verse 9 says, he was crowned with glory and honor. Crowned with glory and honor, that's from Psalm 8. Jesus was crowned with glory and honor, Hebrews says, because of the suffering of death. Now, I'm sure that down through the centuries, some kings were crowned simply because they were born. You know, a, a, a prince, a princess is born and whoop, they're the, they're the next in line. Uh, but nobody gets the throne when they die Kings and queens don't rule when they're dead. Elizabeth II gave up her crown. They're printing new money. Now, when it comes to Jesus' death, though, not only, okay, he, he rules, he, he gets, he's crowned with glory and honor because he died. It's actually a, a much more striking picture because Jesus died on a cross. In the Roman Empire, the cross was reserved for slaves and rebels. Not just, it wasn't just a kind of a general form of capital punishment. Only those who were of a, the lowest uh, rungs of society, only those who were not Roman citizens, only slaves and uh, political rebels, revolutionaries would be hung on a cross because it was, had such a stigma of shame to it. It was too shameful It was so shameful as to be unthinkable for a Roman to die that way. Here's the irony. Jesus accepted slave status and went to the cross. It wasn't just that they gave him slave status and sent him to the cross. He took the status of a slave and went to the shameful cross. And that's how he rose to honor, crowned with glory and honor. You can see that right here in Hebrews 2, but it's even clearer in Philippians 2. You know this passage, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, that says, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humbled servant, death on a cross, Therefore, God exalted him. That's why every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. As Jesus, as God, created all the animals. As man, he was given dominion over the animals, but he humbled himself and was born where they kept the animals. They laid him in a manger. He humbled himself. He grew up in the home of a simple carpenter in a little town where nobody special was expected to come from. He humbled himself, giving more attention to the outcasts than to the big shots in his society. Humbled as a servant, and yet with what authority? What authority? Everyone who heard him said he taught with authority. He showed his authority over disease as he healed the sick. He showed his authority over natural disasters when he calmed the storm. He showed his authority over demons when he cast out evil spirits. He showed his authority over death itself as he raised Lazarus and the widow of Nain's son and the little girl from the dead back to life. That's dominion. The king has come. Yet when the author of Hebrews describes his dominion, Jesus crowned with glory and honor, he, he doesn't say it's about the mighty miracles that showed his dominion. Wasn't the powerful teaching, not the casting out demons, not the raising of the dead. It was when he died on the cross. Why? Why is that the focal point for his crowning with glory and honor? Why, why do we see his glory and his dominion there like nowhere else? Because it was through the cross, in the words of verse 10, Hebrews 2, he was bringing many sons to glory. Remember, it was God's intent that the world would be full of his glory when it was filled with image bearers representing his reign. That's the picture of creation, and that's what Christ accomplishes through his death on the cross, bringing many sons to glory, being a ransom for many. Our last part of the sermon will be all about how Christ brings you and me into that dominion we were created for. Let's go there. Part three. They will reign forever and ever. Submitting to Christ, we follow him from servanthood to kingship. Submitting to Christ, we follow him from servanthood to kingship. Now, you and I, we, we all live and work in God's creation still, but we do not enjoy its fullness, the fruitfulness that it was made for. We wish we could live in that Genesis 1 kind of world. That's not where we're at. Romans 8 says all creation is groaning, and we live in futility, what Ecclesiastes calls vanity. It's like we're all living one step forward, two steps back. So many things that we can enjoy in God's world, to be sure. Yes, there's so much of the goodness of creation that's still uh, present and so thankful for that. But there's also constant frustration. Or, or maybe for you, it, things seem to be going smoothly and then, bam, 
out of the blue. I, I, wish, I wish I was just talking about little things like, ah, oh, string of Christmas lights that, that don't work after you get them out of the closet. Like, ah, oh, come on. Not, no, we're, we're talking about much, much bigger things than that. We're talking about tumors that won't shrink and medical bills that keep growing. We're talking about marriages that are barely holding on and some families falling apart. Who wouldn't rather have dominion? How do we get there? Where the, to, to a place where, where life is not slipping through our fingers, but we feel like we have the crown of glory and honor. The promise of eternal life in a new creation comes to those who put their faith in Christ. And if that's, if that's news to you this morning, then, then this right here is the most important part of the sermon because this is the step you need to take today to, to come to Jesus, to say, okay, I, I see it. I, I need Jesus. I'm, I'm living in a world that is, that is broken and falling apart. I, I'm trying to get control, and yet I can't seem to hold on. That's the root of it all is our rebellion. And the opportunity for you today is to say, I surrender. I'm waving the white flag. God, would you, instead of staying in this war, I'm surrendering. God, would you receive me? Would you forgive me? That's, that's what, if that's where you're at, that's what you need to do today. But most of you, I imagine, feel like, well, yeah, I know that part of the story. I know what this is about. I know how it works. But I want you to think a little bit more with me about what's happening in that faith. Remember, the very first sin of Adam and Eve in the garden was not just disobeying God's command, it's rebelling against God's authority. In one sense, we could say, every time you break the rules, you are defying his rule. Understand? His reign, his authority. It's not just about the rules, breaking the rules. Come on, what, why is he so hung up on breaking the rules? No, he's, he's, the issue is his authority over your life. God being God and you being you. So it makes sense that saving faith then has to come from a place of humble submission to God's authority. In Romans 10.3, Paul describes some people who were seeking to establish their own righteousness and would not submit to God's righteousness. It's not just that they didn't believe in the gospel. They're so committed to saving themselves, to doing life their own way, to, to do it on their own, to, to do it themselves, they would not submit to God's way. They would not submit to the gospel. They would not submit to grace. They would not submit to Jesus. And that's what makes it so profound then when Paul says, just a few verses later, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know you understand what real faith is, what real dependence is when you acknowledge Jesus is Lord. He is king, not me. He has the power and the authority to save. I need him. Now, I wish I could say that if you've gotten to that point, that place in your life, you understand what faith really is. You've bowed the knee to King Jesus. I would like to, to think that we, we Christians have this whole dominion thing all figured out. But sometimes we get confused, too. We, sometimes we still get it wrong about the way 
to power and glory. Why? Because we live in a world where that, has, that lives in a whole different system of how you get power, how you get glory. You can see it in those who get angry with God when their world seems out of control. God's still in control, but this world is broken and it's beyond ours. So Christian, you, you, can't, you can't get that upset uh, when things don't work your way. We just don't have the control we think we have, but God's still in control. We can see that our, our confusion about, uh, about dominion in ego-driven, power-hungry pastors who instead of guarding and feeding the flock, are fleecing it instead, are building just their own platform. That's not God's kind of dominion. You can see it in those who see politics as nothing but power and control, not about serving others in order to promote God's justice and righteousness. Jesus has something to say about that. Another passage here is Mark 10, 35 to 45. Listen for how this speaks to uh, how do we view dominion? How do we view how we get reach uh, the place where we are crowned with glory and honor? James and John, the son of Zebedee, two of his disciples, came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory or in your kingdom. Like we want to reign with you, Jesus. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. And he's speaking there of his suffering. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared And when the ten, the rest of the disciples, heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Probably not because they valued humility so much, but because like, well, hey, maybe we want to be on his left and right. Like, you know, Jesus called them to him and said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant." And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Why? For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can't talk about everything in this passage, but you need to see this. It's possible to be close to Jesus, to want to be part of his kingdom, and still pursue dominion the way the world does. What a tragedy! To lord it over someone is a corruption of dominion. It's turning dominion into being domineering. Or it's turning good authority into authoritarianism. Jesus said, if you are with me, if you want the kingdom that I bring, you have to follow me. You got to go with me through servanthood to kingship, through suffering to glory, through the cross to reach the crown. That's the way. That's how we do it. Now, if that sounds like bad news to you, like, oh, so it, it, Jesus is not saying, sorry, no kingdom, no glory, just suffering, just servanthood. Nobody gets to be king. We all get to be servants. He, he doesn't stop there. 
Jesus does not say that suffering service is all there is. It's a part of it. It is an essential part. It is a part that we must share and must go through. But he says, if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. If you want to be first, become a slave. Because that's what Jesus did, and he did it for you. Remember? He, he went through the suffering of death, and therefore God has highly exalted him. It was because his, he humbled himself that he was exalted. And that same promise is for you and me. The promise of glory, the return to dominion, comes on the other side of suffering. We could see that in so many places, but I want to go here to the same hope that the prophet Daniel told God's people when they had no dominion to speak of. The people of Judah, powerless, oppressed under the great Babylonian empire, living in exile. Daniel said, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I wonder if you know, this passage is why Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, the Son of Man. He is a Son of man, he is a son of Adam because he's human, but he's also the fulfillment of what this prophecy says that one will come from heaven like a son of man to receive the kingdom. See, he's the second Adam from above. He's human, fully human, fully God, Jesus, and he will receive the kingdom, but he will not reign alone. He wants the world filled with those who bear his image, reflect his glory, and represent his gracious, gracious rule. Later in that same chapter, Daniel seven eighteen, it says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Who? Not just the Son of Man, but the saints of the Most High, all God's people. And that's exactly what we see at the end of Scripture. Re- Revelation eleven fifteen says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Handel's Messiah takes those words in the Hallelujah Chorus, which also takes this description of Jesus in Revelation nineteen sixteen. He is king of kings and lord of lords. King of kings and lord of lords. And he shall reign forever and ever. But the last chapter of the book does one better because it says, we who trust and follow Jesus will be there too. And Revelation 22, 5 says, and they will reign forever and ever. Not just Father, Son, and Spirit, but you and me and all who trust him. Yes, hallelujah. And they will reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's, and that's more, that reigning is more. Don't settle for uh, just images of us wearing robes and sitting on thrones and, and having crowns. That's not the, the, the extent of this rule and reign, this dominion. Think about how, what, what all we've spoken about this morning. It's, it's no more, that, that, that dominion is being no more defeated by disease or disaster or demons or death. That's dominion. When the power and authority that Christ demonstrated in, in little 
moments of his time on earth will cover the earth far as the curse is found. He will rule the world. And it will, that's the kind of dominion we will have, that we will enjoy, that we will bless him. You don't have to, in that day, what it means for you to have dominion is not worried that somehow someone else is trying to take advantage of you. Somebody else is trying to, is competing with you to get the, the top spot and they're trying to push you out. That's not God's kind of dominion. That's, not the, that's the, dominion, the kind of dominion we see now in this world, but it's not the dominion that we will have in that day. We will reign with him. We, all God's people, will reign with him. Nobody is seeking to suppress you. Nobody is seeking to push you out. Nobody is trying to stab you in the back. Nobody, n- nothing of your life is going to slip through your fingers because you just, we just don't have the control that we wish we had. Then, dominion the power and authority that we were created. Not that, not that replaces God, not that supplants God, not that moves God off of his throne. That's this kind of dominion in this world today, the kind of dominion that, that we reign with him under his gracious rule. And that is the place of blessing. That's the place of blessing. With Jesus, we will reign forever and ever, forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's why at Christmas we celebrate Jesus who came as a king so that we might reign with him. Looking forward to that? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here confessing our sin. Our sin of rebellion, our sin of seizing the authority that belongs only to you. And I pray, God, that we would press into the kind of authority under authority that you have given us. Working in our world to to serve, to bless, to honor you, that people would see your gracious rule represented in us. But Lord, for, for all the ways that we still seek power the way the world does, would you forgive us? For all the ways that we are tempted to grasp for control, control that you've never given us, control that you say, I, I'm taking care of this. You don't have to. God, would you forgive us for all the ways that we are grasping so hard Lord, I know why we do this. It's not just sin. It's because the world is falling apart. We're falling apart. And so we try to hold things tighter when, Lord, we need to look to you, the only one who can hold us together in this broken world. Oh, God, we thank you for sending your son who laid aside his glory, the splendor of heaven to humble himself and be among us. Who humbled himself to a cross. We praise you. We do confess that Jesus is Lord. We bow the knee as will all one day. Exalt him. Exalt Jesus. And Lord, with him, 
exalt us underneath your gracious rule and blessing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand.